uh, we believe what we just sang, that song really puts it all together, that you take broken, hurting, powerless, poor people who are far from you, and you cause us to sing out, hallelujah. God, you bring us from a point where we've got nothing to offer, where we are broken in our sin, when we are lost and dying and on our way to hell. God, and you completely make us new. That in my poor and wretched and broken soul, you have wiped that all away and you call me child you call me holy you call me worthy you call me righteous and now I can sing out hallelujah and I can shout it from the rooftops and from the mountains without being ashamed because Jesus came down and reached into my life and made me new made me brand new And so, God, I pray for anybody in this room this morning that your Holy Spirit would just pursue their heart if they don't have a relationship with Jesus right now. That that your Holy Spirit would just pierce to the place in their heart that knows they can't do this life alone, that knows they can't earn their salvation, that knows they need to be saved from their brokenness and their lostness. God, and for the rest of us, may we rejoice and sing hallelujah and sing it with our life. God, may we be people who are faithful with what you have put in our hands. May we be people who take risks in 2016. Because we do not fear. Because you say do not fear. We will not fear people of this world. We will not fear Satan. God, we will have a holy fear of your righteousness and your holiness, knowing that Jesus met the standard for us that we could never meet on our own. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And all God's people said, amen. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans is like halfway through Uh, The New Testament, by number of pages, I would say. Um, So just find your way to Romans chapter 3. This is the Bible we believe it's without error, so we will unapologetically preach from it every week. I hope that you never come to Creekside Church and we do not open the Bible. Okay, so we will use this every single week. We believe that it is God's truth. And the best way to fight Satan's lies is with what? The Word, which is God's truth, right? Love that. We ha- I have a, uh, another opportunity for service to present to you, but a uh, great thing happened in 2015. We grew. That's awesome, right? We see some smiles on your face. We grew. And wh- what did we grow with? We grew with a lot of young families who have kids, right? So that presents us with a glorious problem. We have too many kids and not enough people serving those kids, all right? I'm not talking about parents because we know how you serve your kids, 
Um, but what we need is we've got a little too many people in the nursery, too many kids in the nursery. So we want to create a Sunday school class dedicated to two-and-a-half-year-olds to about right before preschool, okay? Because we believe that they learn, trust me. My two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, sometimes she blows me away with the things that she's picked up. And now she can talk, and she's smarter than I am in some areas of life. Um, but we need to create a class, huh? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. He's like, because we know how smart you are. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, anyway, um, we, uh, we need to create that class. So maybe you, along with another person or two couples or whatever, you get together and we rotate you out month at a time, month on, month off, or every other week, however we want to figure that out with you. But if you are interested in serving those young kids, talk to me um, or Connie Keller or Mary Bristow. Okay, got that? Let's move on. Happy New Year. Um, did everybody make their New Year's resolutions? Anybody raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution this year. That's kind of lame. All right, not for you that did it. I mean, for everyone else who did not raise their hand, okay? But here's the thing with New Year's resolutions. I feel like we should call them goals, not resolutions, because I feel like a little bit that a resolution is meant to be broken, right? I resolve to go to the gym 365 days this year and never eat anything unhealthy. It's not going to happen, all right? It's not going to happen. But if it's a goal, okay, because if I resolve to do something and tomorrow which is what would be tomorrow, the, the fourth, the fourth day of January I get up and I don't do it, I've just failed at my resolution, right? But if I have a goal to meet by the end of the year, I want to get to this point, then if it's my goal, then I can fail at it and then be encouraged to just get back up and keep going, right? So I encourage you, this is something that Heather and I did this past week, um, and interestingly enough, part of it we were forced to do at Farrell's, um, but I'm, I'm thinking that in the church we should probably be more uh, pushed to do this than at a workout program. So I want to encourage you all to sit down this week sometime, take a piece of paper, I don't care what that paper looks like or your phone or whatever, and write down your physical goals and your spiritual goals for the year, okay? Uh, one of my goals um, spiritually was to renew my mind every single day in the Bible— Okay, so that I can go out and spend a considerable amount more time with people who are far from God, right? Because if I'm going to be spending time with people who are far from God, if I'm going to be spending time with people who don't have a relationship with Jesus and that are living in a worldly way, I need to be renewed in my mind to be able to go out and do that, affecting them for Jesus rather than me being affected to do the things that they're doing, right? But it doesn't mean that I don't spend time with them because I believe that's what Jesus did, right? So that's one of my goals. Um, so make those goals. God has been extremely gracious to us at Creekside in 2015, especially considering who our leadership is. I mean, think of who our leadership is. We some messed up people. We got issues, all right? But here's one thing that I know. I know every single person in leadership is dedicated to knowing this book, is dedicating to knowing the Bible and to knowing how to teach it to you and to seeing and watching God change our lives through his Holy Spirit because of this book. 
because of God's truth. That's one thing I know. In all of my idiosyncrasies, in all of my issues, I can bank on the fact that Scripture is true, right? So that's what we fight with this year. So we're going to start a new series today called Basics slash Testimonies, okay? Because here's what we want. We want everyone in the room, follower of Jesus or not, even if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we need to be reminded of the basics of the gospel, and then we get to watch and see how the power of the gospel has changed different people's lives in our church. We've said things before like this, invite someone into your home before you invite them into your church, which essentially means build a relationship with them as people, okay, not as projects in order to show them the gospel of Jesus. So this year, I want this concept that I'm about to present to you to take root into my life, but I hope that I say it enough at Creekside Church that it takes root in us as a church, okay? So this idea of living your everyday life on mission for the gospel, we talk about it all the time. I mean, our mission statement at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus, okay? But the wording I stole from, uh, from another pastor in New York City, but he puts it like this. Occupy your street. Occupy your street. What's your street? Because my street is going to look a lot different than Mark's street, is going to look a lot different than Mike's street, is going to look a lot different than Debbie's street, okay? My street, the closest person in my life that my street might look the most like is my wife because we're, we're on this journey together for the gospel, right? But your street is this, not necessarily where you live, although do you know your neighbors, okay? So if you, if you don't know your neighbors' names, put that on your goal sheet for this year, okay? I'm going to learn my neighbors' names, but answer these questions. Where do you live? Where do you work? Who do you run into every day? What and who has God placed in your hand to be faithful with? That's your street, right? That's your street. Since we moved to Urbandale, I've gone and got my haircut at the same place. I'm not going to tell you where, where it is because then you'll go there based on whether you'd like or don't like my haircut. So, um, but I go to the same place every time to get my haircut. And I realized yesterday as I walked in there, if I'm going to present this Occupy Your Street kind of concept, that's my street. Every place that you frequent on a regular basis, people you see every day, that's your street. So occupy your street. What am I occupying my street with? I am saturating my street with the gospel. I'm going to be faithful with what God has put in my hand. These are my goals this year. I'm going to be faithful with what God has put in my hand to watch him transform people's lives through the gospel. Occupy your streets. So today we're going to start by focusing on the first basic of the gospel, which is called sin. All right, don't, don't bow out because I said sin, okay? I know there's a... There's a I heard this once about a church in Des Moines, and the pastor said, we, 
we try extremely hard not to use the word sin when we preach. Okay? And that just baffles my mind. Because the word gospel means good news. Okay? And to have good news, bad news is assumed first. Right? And that bad news is sin. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And guess what he said about the heavens and the earth? He said, He saw it and it was good. Everything that God created was perfect. Sin had not happened in humanity yet. Okay, but what did God do? God gave humanity a free will. Because we're not robots. God doesn't just put a, push a button and he doesn't just point at us and, and, and say, boom, boom, boom. He, he doesn't just point a button, push a button and say, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. If my wife, if I could just push a button to have my wife do whatever I wanted her to do, it would be a glorious life. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I wasn't going to say that, but it popped into my head. Um, if, I, if I could force my wife to love me, it wouldn't be that satisfying, would it? Right? Because God is a personal God. He wants us to choose to love him in return based on what he has saved us from. Based on the fact that he loves us and wants to be personal with us on an individual level. We choose to follow God. We choose to believe in Jesus. Mark talked last week about things in the Bible that we don't necessarily like that are there. And here's one of those things. In God's perfect plan, when he created the heavens and the earth, the first human beings that he created were Adam and Eve. And in his perfect plan, he made Adam a representative for the entire human race when it comes to sin. And many people will look at that and be like, hold on a minute. That ain't fair. Like, I didn't do what Adam did. Like, I've said it before. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have words with Adam. I'm going to have words with Eve, right? Y'all screwed it up for the rest of us, okay? I've thought that before. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? It says this, because all sinned. We talked about this recently, but the fact that it is gracious for God to spread death to all men as a penalty for sin, because if he didn't, then sin would reign forever in humanity. But here's the deal. All the pain and all the suffering and all the death and destruction that sin in the world has caused for us will someday be done away with when Jesus comes back to reign as king. That should light our fires. That gives us hope. Okay, The gospel is good news because it brings good news into the darkness and exposes the darkness for what it is and makes everything about us now light. All right? We've got a new preacher coming up to preach with me. What's up, buddy? Hey, here. Come on. 
I, th- this is good. This is good. We need more of you, like, giving a good word there. I love that now everything about everyone who is saved, there is no more darkness because the darkness has not understood and cannot and never will overcome the light that Jesus is. He says, I am the light of the world, but he has also made us the light of the world. So if we are in Jesus, there is now no more darkness in us. Do we get that this is good news? Light and darkness are opposites. So sin in every single one of us is very, very, very bad news. But the gospel is that simple. That Jesus came to be the light of the world and expose sin for what it was and make us clean. Romans 3, 9 through 18. I think you're already there. I'm going to read this for you and kind of take you through it. This proves to us that there has never been, never will be, any human being besides Jesus Christ that has been without sin. Okay, we need to understand the weight of this, not only for ourselves, okay, but for the people around us on our street. Remember, when I say our street, I don't just mean where you live. It includes where you live. But we are occupying our street. We are saturating our street with the gospel. So let's read this. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Remember, the Jews are the people that the Messiah would come to, who rejected him. Their own Messiah, they rejected That the Messiah would come from the Jews. So he's saying, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, and in the known world at that time, that was everyone, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no. Not even one. I love that. None is righteous, comma, no. Not one. It's like Paul's having a hypothetical conversation with someone, and he's assuming their objection. Right? So he says, no one's righteous. Oh, wait, 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 wait. But, but Paul, I have done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and I haven't done this, 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 and this. Right? And so Paul's, Paul, goes, Paul goes, no one is righteous. But no, your objection does not count here. Not even one. Okay, so whatever objection you would have at that point is null and void because of why. Verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Scripture also says that God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart, right? So it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. God's going to look at your heart. Same thing with sin. God is not only looking at how you live outwardly, all right? God is not only looking at if you are sinning or or your talent at hiding your sin. Some of us have a really great talent 
at hiding our sin and wearing this mask. And, and especially in church, coming to church and saying, I'm good. I'm fine. Right? All is good with Nick. But what does God look at? Because all of these things address a heart issue. God looks at the intentions and the motivations of the heart. Later on this year, we're going to have a, uh, a series called the Sermon on the Mount. That's creative, right? Um, but we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. Like, you've heard it said, do not murder. Well, I say this. If you hate somebody, you're under the same judgment as if you murder. You've heard it said, do not uh, commit adultery. Well, I say this, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery with that woman, right? So God doesn't just look at what you do outside. God looks at the intentions and the thoughts and the motives of your heart. It goes on, verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Think about this as I read this, the total depravity of human beings. This is encompassing everyone, okay, in the world, as it tells us in verse 9. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Every single one of those things is addressing a heart issue. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. The Bible is also very clear that what we put in is going to come out, right? Not as far as food goes, but the things we fill our lives with are going to come out. The things that are inside in your heart are going to to find their way out. You're only going to be so good at hiding your sin for so long. They're going to come out. And then it goes over to Romans 3.23, just a few verses over, and it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then there's the good news. Okay? If my sin... If even one wrong intention of my heart is enough to send me to hell for eternity, I need some good news. I'm in desperate need of some good news. I'm in desperate need of some hope because without it, I'm completely without hope. So turn over to Romans 6, 23. It's like one page in my Bible. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. We've covered that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So here's the deal. None of us, not even one, no, nope, nope, not even one deserve to be forgiven by Jesus. So fair, I mean, I think one of, the, one of the main objections to God that I've ever heard are how could a loving God do dot, 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 right? The ineloquent um, 
Dan and Georgiana Akins who come every once in a while. They're missionaries that we support in Romania. They have this song that says, the question is not how, I gotta get it straight. The question is not why do bad things happen to good people? The question is why do good things happen to bad people like me? In order to really be thankful for my salvation, that's where I got to be. I have to understand that without Jesus, I am completely lost. And I am completely destined for hell for eternity. And that is actually what I deserve. So fair? What is fair? Fair from God's standpoint is this. That he has the right dictated by his holiness to send us all to hell for eternity. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, God is love. Isn't God love? Like love wins in the end, doesn't it? Yes, love wins, but here's how. He is perfectly love, and at the same time, he is perfectly just. And if we separate either of those from God, he is no longer God anymore. So God is not more loving than he is just, and he is not more just than he is loving. He is equally and most powerfully both of them at the same time. And that is one of these biblical truths, that is one of God's truth, that I in my finite humanity could never possibly wrap my, arm, wrap my brain around. Because I'm never as equally loving and as equally just all the time. I, I just, it's just not me, right? Unfair from God's standpoint is that lost and sinful, broken people who have offended the righteousness of God get to be forgiven and made children of Almighty God, all because Jesus came and died. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we're occupying our streets with. We are shining a light into a dark world that, yes, there is bad news, that sin exists and it destroys everything, but the good news to that is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know this is basic for most of us who have been in the church our whole life, but I'm convinced that for someone in this room this morning, it's new. And guess what? It should impact me, who grew up in the church, just as much today, if not more, because I understand my brokenness, I understand my depravity, in light of what God has saved me from. The fact is... That God gave us unfair, and he put fair on Jesus Christ on the cross. Do we get that? That Jesus actually got unfair because he had never, ever sinned. And when he went to the cross, it is completely unfair that my sin should have been taken off of me and put on Jesus. But guess what? That's what Jesus thinks about you. 
The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We've talked about this before. Joy for for what? Of two things, glorifying and obeying his God in heaven and you. You. If you were the only person on the planet that needed saving, Jesus would have done it. He would have come out of heaven at Christmas time. And he would have lived and he would have died for you. That's the gospel. So unfair was given to us from God's standpoint. And fair, the justice for our sin was taken out on Jesus. So guess what? Now you're no longer darkness, you're light. You're no longer bound for hell, you're bound for heaven. Because this earth is not your home. So we can rejoice in that, amen? Amen? So when we sing and take communion after this story that we're going to hear, that should be like a celebration, right? Because we've been saved, brought out of darkness into light. Let's pray together, and we're going to thank God. As I'm praying, I want you to pray. If you are a believer, if you do have a relationship with Jesus, thank God for that. Know what you have been saved from. And if you're not, know what we're talking about. That sin is a serious thing. Everyone in this world has sinned, and it sends us to hell. But Jesus gives us the only way to heaven and a glorious, glorious eternity with him in his presence and in abundant life here on earth. Let's pray together. Man, God, it is completely unfair that Jesus had to die for us. But I am so thankful that your plan was perfect enough to give an answer to justice. And it was your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he paid the price for sin that I should have paid. God, so we know that there is no one on this earth that is without sin. And so I just pray for our church, God. I pray for every individual in here. First, for the people who don't have a relationship with you, who are not saved, who need to come to you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. Please save me. Bring me out of my sin. Bring me out of death. Bring me into light. God, and for the rest of us, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to take risks to occupy our streets this year. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we're going to um, have uh, the privilege to hear a story. Leah's going to join me up here. Turn on her mic real quick. And uh, this is a story that I had, I had coffee with Leah this week. And um, it's one of those stories that uh, even... Growing up in the church, I am absolutely blown away by the power and the plan of God and how it is far beyond what I think it is, right? <laughs> you hear this and it's like, man, God, I have not believed you enough. I have not given you enough credit. I have not believed that you are powerful as you say you are. I have not believed. Uh, what this book says about you, right? And so, um, this is Leah Tesfamarium. I got that right? Yes. Yes. 
Awesome. She didn't help me with that either. I just got it, right? Pronounce it good. All right. Well, um, Leah, I want you to tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your family, and then also your parents' religious background. My name is Liatis Famariam, and I am originally from Africa, East Africa. The name of the country is Eritrea. And my, I have one brother and one sister. And my parents are back home with my brothers and my sisters. Um, and my parents are Orthodox. I grew up in Orthodox church, so Orthodox are like, they think they know God, but they don't. So they um, they glorify the angels and like Mary, like Gabriel, Michael, and people who died, they make them saint and they pray for them. So in that kind of church I grew up. Was your, was your upbringing in, with your brothers and sisters in, in your home with your parents, was it good? Yes, um, yes, I have really... Uh, happy childhood yes we have good and you felt loved you felt secure yes all right yes tell us a little bit about um your schooling what we would call high school here mm -hmm. um your schooling and what you wanted to do after that what you wanted that to lead to but then what happened to derail those plans yeah since i was a kid uh, i was good in school so uh, i wanted to be a doctor always i dreamed to be a doctor so um, I, I tried everything to be, to go to school. So, um, but in my country, we have only one university and there is no medical and what, doctor. And what's your country? Eritrea. Oh, yeah, okay. So there wasn't medical doctor at that time. So the only option I have to do is to get out of from the country. So um, I had a family friend who went to Cuba and studied in Cuba, Havana studied mechanical engineering for free, so he told me I can go to school there for free. So he took me, I got visa and he took me there to Cuba to, it's not to go to school at that time, but to um, had relationship with the school and with, they had festival for, for young people, so to meet people there, to get relationship with the country and with the education over there. So when I'm ready to go to school, I can go to school for free over there. Then I went with him. Then when I went with him, um, when I got in Cuba, my country start, start war. So I couldn't go back to my country. I got stuck in Cuba. So, and when I was waiting, my visa expired. Uh, so I became illegal, illegal. So, um, I couldn't pay for my hotel, so I was staying with friends who study there. They are from Ethiopia. The only language I can speak, I can understand were those people because I don't speak Spanish, I don't speak English, they don't speak English either, the Cuban people. So the only people I can communicate were the people from Ethiopia. They were students, so they live in dorm. I was hiding from the police, living with them. So my passport got expired and I sent it to Germany to get renewed and after um, the embassy my country renewed it they sent it to me and got lost so I was like illegal no documentation 
nowhere to go. So one of the, uh, the guy I was staying with uh, told me, you know, the only option you have is to go to the UN office and they will help you. So I went to the United Nations office and um, the woman who worked with me is there. She, we told her all about my story because my country was at that time, no fly zone, so I can't go there, there's no way I can go back. So she said, okay, we'll help you. But first you have to be legal in here, so you have to go to immigration. I said, okay, so they took me to the immigration to get papers. But when we got there, the immigration called her. She said, I don't care about her. Do whatever you want to do with her. So they put me in jail in there. So you went off to school. Yes. Doing your school thing. You were going to return to your country. Your country was at war. You couldn't go there. Mm -hmm. So you were illegal mm -hmm. in Cuba at that time. Went to get your papers. Yeah. And they said, no can do. Mm -hmm. And now you're in jail. Yes, now I'm in jail. So in jail. Um, and at this point in your life, when you're in jail, you haven't, you're not a Christian yet. No, no, not, not yet. Nothing um, with God. Yes, no. no, I'm just Orthodox. So Orthodox, we have always a Bible. We carry Bible everywhere. In the bedroom, we have under your pillow. Wherever you go, you have a Bible, but you don't read it. That's the problem. So I have a Bible. Even in the prison, when they took me, I had it with me. So in the morning, uh, after they put me in jail, um, the first thing I felt is like when they told me, this is your bed, I sat down. I, sit, I felt right, relief. I felt something, it's, it's okay to be here. So the next day, I slept good, good night, because I wasn't sleeping. I was worried if my money's gone finish, if, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't have nothing. So I didn't have with my family uh, communication. So if my money is gone, then I will not going to have more money. So but that day I slept very well. So in the morning I got up and um, I pulled the chair by the door. There is bar in the door. I sat down and my Bible opened. So my eye, when I look, there is uh, the Bible. I start reading Psalm 121. I will read it. What it says. It says, Psalm 1, 2, and 1, it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Jehovah, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Jehovah is your keeper. Jehovah is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Jehovah will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Jehovah will keep you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So when I read this, it was like more than reading. It was like somebody's telling me in my inside, the words came alive in scripture. So I started crying when I was reading. Um, it, it was like I was watching movie from the past my life. All things happened good to me. I was saying, oh, Mary did this for me because always chance 
he was telling me when I saw when I see those things, I am what I did. I did this. I did this for you. I did this for you. Then I start crying. So I put my knee in my knees and I I I repent. I said I'm sorry. I glorify all those angels or dead people who does not save me, who does not help me instead of you. So that's how it started. Went from I've not being able to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Bible opens, God reveals himself to you yes. and says, it's just all about God, yes. not about the angels, yeah, not about the so, saints. It's yeah. all about Jesus and you repented. Tell us about how you went from living in jail mm -hmm. to living in a $600 apartment okay. a month. When, after I saved it, I, um, I want to tell you that's important for me to tell you. Um, I started praying and fasting inside the jail. So it's a small room. I was by myself. So there, are, there were two people from my country who speaks uh, my language. They don't speak Spanish. They had the same problem with me. They were illegal. So I was praying for them. So they won't come there. If got to open door for them to get out to another country. So the other one, one of them was a woman who was really a strong believer and a good teacher, Bible teacher. So uh, I was praying for them, but one day they brought her. I was like, God, why? I prayed for her not to come. Why did you bring her? Then after she came, this was my always question, why she came? But after she came, I told her, uh, what happened to me, how God talked to me, how I'm now praying, how I'm reading my Bible, then she started teaching me. She started teaching me from morning to night. That's the only thing we have. So she teach me, she preach me. We had Bible study, everything for eight months. So after uh, I got out from jail, I was... Uh, giving my testimony for another friend. I told her, I don't know, I prayed a lot to get to not come one of them to the, ch to the jail, but I don't know why she came, then my friend told me. You know why she came? She came because God wants her to teach you, to be with you in that jail. So that's amazing for me. So I went out, um, in this eight months, me and her, we were just praying and studying Bible, as I told you. Then one day, a woman came. She's from um, South America. She came in the jail with us. So we didn't know who she was. We don't know nothing. But she was asking us for how long we've been here. Do we eat this? all day, this kind of, all the time, this kind of food. We tell her, yes, yes. So uh, she stayed with us like three days. And after three days, they call her name. And she went out upstairs. We were downstairs in the basement. So she went upstairs. Then she came downstairs to get her luggage. And she told us, she hold my hand. And she put it in my chest. She said, I will be back to see you this afternoon and you will going to get out. I was 
okay, who she, nobody comes to downstairs, even the soldiers, they don't come. If they don't work there, they can't come downstairs. Then she went, she took her luggage, then she went upstairs, and then she came in the afternoon with big TV. She has two general, military general with her cane, Q1 military general, and she came with this big TV, and she said, I came back, this TV is for you. I want you guys uh, to watch TV. And she said, uh, and your bedroom will be cleaning in the morning, and you guys can go out and fresh to take fresh air. So for the first time, we start getting out to outside and take fresh air. And she told me again, she hold my hand, and she said, she hold my hands like this, she said, I promise you, you will going to go get out soon, very soon, I'm working on it. So we didn't know who was she. So we said, okay. Then she left, she said she's going to her country back, so she left. Then they called me and my friends. They said, you guys have to find place. Call your friends call, uh, and find place to go. We can't keep you anymore here. So we said, okay, we'll call our friends. Then they called our friends. We called our friends. They let us to call our friends. We have to go down upstairs and call our friends. We told them to find us our apartments for rent. And my friend said she couldn't find uh, cheap apartments. The only, find she, the only apartment she can find is it costs uh, $600. Yes, so it's a lot of money over there. So and you couldn't pay that? No, I, I can't pay it. But uh, they said, no, the UN has to pay it. You guys have to get out because they had problem. I think we shouldn't be that long in that place. The immigration said, no, that's not our fault because the UN didn't want to accept you. We don't let you to the street. We kept you and fed you. The UN said, no, we could do something, but the immigration hold you. So everybody was washing their hands. Everybody, nobody wants to take responsibility. So they said, we don't, the immigration said, we don't care how much it is, the UN has to pay it, you, have, you guys have to go out. They just want to go, they just want us to go out. So I told them, my friend find apartment, but it's $600. They said, it's okay. So, I went to the apartment, it's two bedroom apartment, big, real, really big apartment with big um, uh, living room. So that's how I got the, the next day then morning, uh, somebody knocked my door and I opened the door. I was like, who are you? She's, oh no, I'm the housekeeper. <laughs> I was like, yesterday I was in jail, now I have this big apartment and have housekeeping. <laughs> That's amazing. God was faithful yeah. to you there. Um, we're, uh, we're running a little short on time, so um, I'm going to say this right now, but you should, she should be flooded with people after this, because there's more to the story than what you're going to hear this morning. Um, but uh, we met for coffee, and she told me about how she, you got connected with a good church, you got connected with an amazing pastor um, that, uh, and this church was um, just spirit-filled and just an amazing place to be. And so um, 
without all the crazy details, it is a crazy story as to how she got to America. Um, it, it, as far as timeline goes, um, absolutely impossible, right? Um, and uh, God orchestrated some amazing things to happen to get Leah to come over um, to America um, in a fraction of the time that it should have taken uh, to get her here as going from jail to illegal to all that stuff. Um, but I want, what I want you to end with um, is tell us about um, where you flew into when you came here mm -hmm. um, and then how you got connected with Creekside Church. Okay. Hi, you want to tell me how I, how I came to America? Give the real quick version okay. of the impossibility yeah. of you getting here yeah. and then how you uh, got connected here. To come, to get, to start, when you start the process to come to America uh, as a refugee, it takes like three years to process. But mine took like two weeks. In two weeks, I'm in Iowa. The, the, my, my caseworker was on vacation. She was on vacation. Before she comes back on vacation, I'm here in Iowa. So everybody was like, how even the UN, the immigration in Cuba, everyone was really surprised that God made it really quick. And what do you want me to tell you? I'm sorry. You came into Iowa, uh -huh. and then how'd you get connected here? Yeah, I came here. I came from Cuba direct to Iowa, so I was looking for church. I was going from church to church. So I was living here in 86. Yeah, I was Googling, so close to my house church, I went to different church then. Finally, two years ago, I find this church. So when I came, I said, oh, there is a church close to my, to my house. Then I said, it was Saturday evening. Then I told my son, let's go walk and look for the, for the church, if it really exists, because I never found it. I always Google for church. So... We came walking, we saw it, and I told him, we'll come tomorrow morning in this church. So I came to this church, but it was the last day of the Olivet Church. So they were So crying. it was July, ju the first Sunday mm -hmm. in July, summer. two years ago, was the last Sunday that Olivet Church met as a church here. Yes, so uh, I came here, they were crying, they were saying, you know, things. I was like, God, I've been Googling all this uh, for church, and when I found this was in my, close to my house, I was so happy now it's the last day. So I was disappointed. So there was a lady sitting in that chair, this chair, old lady from Oliver, she came to me and she said, I never seen you, are you new? I said, yeah, I'm new. I was hoping to come to the church, but it's the last day, she said, no. You come next week. There are another people who bought this church, and uh, you come in, try it. You may like them. They are good people. I said, okay. Then I came the, the next Sunday, and you and Hannah were singing. So I was so happy. I, I was praying. I, closed, I stand up and closed my eyes to pray, and uh, the Holy Spirit took me to my Cuban church. So I was like, what is that? I opened my eyes. I said, what is that? Then I closed my eyes again. Then the same thing. 
So I said, oh, that's, God tells me this is my church. So, yeah, after that, then I'm coming here. And now you're here. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yes. You see, yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. And I love that because God was orchestrating her. I mean, she was homeless, in jail, kind of. And God was orchestrating that whole thing to put this beautiful group of people together. And Leah was, put, I mean, her story is our story. And, and I love that. Um, so thank you for sharing your story. Talk to her afterward. Hear more of her story. Get into her life because um, she's an open book, I think. Um, I'm not going to put you out there for that. But um, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a chance just to celebrate uh, what God has done in her life, meeting her in a prison um, through Scripture. And we're going to celebrate what he has done in our life by taking communion now. Um, and we're going to sing a few uh, fun take communion together. God, just thank you so much uh, for transforming Leah's life. Thank you for uh, meeting her in prison of all places. Um, you seem to meet us when we're at our lowest. Um, I pray that you would meet someone here at their lowest today. Um, God, meet us all where we're at. Uh, we come as we are with everything that we have. And um, we want to worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Um, may salvation come to all on our streets. Um, God, we celebrate that salvation now by, by taking what you've given us in the bread and the cup. Um, we celebrate you. We celebrate Jesus. And in his name we pray. We need you and we love you. orchestrating our lives when we hear a story likely as even though in the moment we can't see it we don't understand God's plans and um, they're hard for us to agree with sometime God is for you he sees you as an individual he wants your heart he wants your life he wants you to turn from your sin and here's the thing here's the challenge as we occupy our street that we agree with the Holy Spirit to take the risks that he pushes us to because he orchestrates my life and when I don't have the answer or when I have no idea how to act in a certain situation the Holy Spirit can lead us and can fill us and we never know how God is going to use us to bring the gospel to someone who needs it so as we occupy our street take the risk to just obey and do what God leads us to do we're gonna sing one more song it's late. If you need to get your kids, that's fine. Um, but we're gonna together. We're gonna continue to worship together and uh, and sing one more song together. And we leave this place renewing our minds, ready to go out and bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. Mm -hmm.